Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Sometimes it's funny just to be quiet in a Pentecostal church. Y'all get so nervous. Y'all just look. What's he doing? What's he doing? I was expecting somebody to come out with a message in tongues right there. Y'all know that's how it used to work in the old church, right? How many of you were a part of that? It'd get quiet and immediately somebody had to have. I saw it happen all the time. Been touched by a lot of those messages too. Not all of them were just because somebody was quiet. Some of them was because of. A praying mama had a word from the Lord that she had to talk to us about. Hey, I remember one. My wife, I don't, she'll remember as soon as I say it. But uh, we we were we were deciding if we were going to date for real. And uh, well, no, not really. I mean, we weren't supposed to be. But <laughs> we were at uh, the General Assembly in Indianapolis before we were married. And you know, I. I, listen, I did one of those things that I don't recommend doing now. I, you know, the Baptists are way better at throwing out fleeces than we are. We, they, they swear, but I did. I threw it out. I said, God, I said, if she's the one. Listen, y'all don't understand how churchy I, I really was. When I talk about this, can I tell you that as a child, I literally was so scared that I was going to blaspheme the Holy Ghost and not go to hell and not go to heaven. It was a legitimate fear that if I said anything, oh, did I just blaspheme the Holy Ghost? I'm, I'm talking about I was churchy, and it was ingrained in me. Anyway, so I'm 17 or 18. I'm 18, I guess. You know, got on my suit in the middle of the summer, as hot as could be in General Assembly. And I told the Lord, I said, if she's the one, I, I, I need to hear. And, we're, you know, we're in a crowd of, you know, probably 25,000 people. I said, let there be a message in tongues and interpretation. Let it be. I'm not kidding you. In the middle of the service, and 25,000 people heard it, too. They heard the whole thing. It stopped. And I was like, okay, she's the one. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Well, hallelujah. Uh, oh, man, I could tell you some stories, some stuff. We Listen, Rebecca and I, we used to go to youth services in suits and dresses and sing hymns. People ask us to sing a special song at a youth service. We get up and sing a hymn, just two of us, and we find three-part harmony somehow with two of us. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. She's up here saying it's sad. No, it's not sad. It's not sad. Hey, listen. Everybody is invited to the Super Bowl party. I just want to make that clear. Unless you're rooting for the Patriots. You can't come if, if you're rooting for the Patriots. Don't come. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, hallelujah. Okay. Uh, I think I'm going to start in Ephesians 4 again. I just want to read through some of that that we read through. I've been talking uh, the last several weeks about sweeping the corners. First one is sweeping the corner of religion, replacing it with freedom. Last week, sweeping the corner of cynicism, replacing it with wonder, childlike wonder. And um, that one, I really wanted to stay there for like a really, really long time. So I just want to say I reserve the right to come back and preach that again. 
at some point. Um, but I do have some stuff I want to share today. I, I don't feel like I'll be long at all. Um, some of what I want to talk about is is going to be review for some of you and stuff that we've talked about before. But um, I, I feel like it has to be addressed, and and so um, that that's what I want to do. Uh, sweeping the corners and taking this opportunity to to really inventory what are some things that are keeping me from moving into kingdom maturity it's really necessary okay and and i want to say that again that that in the kingdom you can be 97 and be immature but you can be 9 and be mature in the things of the kingdom and um one night this week i i woke up and uh just couldn't go back to sleep real quick and so i got up and did a few things and grabbed my my passion trace passion translation of isaiah which by the way i've got like what four five of those at the house that i keep forgetting to bring and sell to you guys did y'all know isaiah is out in the passion translation it's amazing if you don't have it i'll try to bring them or if you want if you're there tonight and you want to buy it you can anyway so i got that and I, i was reading that and i went back to bed and um just really still couldn't sleep so I, I started reading in Timothy and um I'm saying all this because kingdom maturity is so needed in this hour and Paul tells Timothy I love the way he words this he says that God is going to judge us based on our kingdom revelation our kingdom revelation let me show it to you I wasn't going to do that but let me show it actually it's highlighted in my phone, so it'd be quicker that way if we have any kind of internet here. Let's see. Right. It's in, it's in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is like my go-to chapter uh, book. I, I just, I, I love to just read that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Timothy, in the presence of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is destined to judge both the living and the dead by the revelation of his kingdom, I solemnly instruct you. You see that? That in the presence of our great God and Lord Jesus Christ, the one who destined to, is destined to judge the living and the dead by the revelation of his kingdom, I solemnly instruct you. That tells me that we have to have a revelation of the kingdom. And it's so important because I feel like that for, let me just say for me, for a lot of my life, I had revelation of church. I had revelation of, uh, yeah, church. Let me just say that. And I'm finding out that now he's opening up some things about the kingdom that don't necessarily jive with what I learned about church. And I have to decide which one is going to be the dominant voice. As do you. And Paul tells Timothy that Jesus is going to judge us, the living and the dead, according to the revelation of his kingdom. And I, I, I love what, what one guy, Damon, says this all the time. He said, when you get to heaven, he's not going to ask you, did you read it? He's going to ask you, did you do it? Did you know that actually there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you to read the Bible? It does tell you to meditate on the Scripture 
But what we did is we took that and turned that into a one-year Bible. And if you'll just read through the one-year Bible, then you're good to go. I can't get no help right there. Listen, I've read the one-year Bible. I've got two or three of them. So I'm not, I'm just saying that we, we, we were given some stuff that was an action to do and didn't really move into the fruit of what that could actually produce if we would take some time and meditate on the word, right? Meditate on the word day and night. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Remember Psalm? So, so I, I really want us to, to understand that what, what God is doing right now and what he's teaching us is really a, a whole lot about kingdom and one of the things you have to understand about the kingdom is that there is government. One of the reasons we liked church is because there was a counterfeit form of government that we thought we could lean into, but there's really a righteous government that is necessary, and you only get that in the kingdom, okay? So uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just start at verse 11 and read down to 14 maybe, <coughs> 15, something like that. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. Let me stop right there and, and just, again, talk about um, the fact that that. What I got early on was church. Now, listen, you have to understand that you're hearing somebody who's talking, who's very proud of his heritage, very thankful for what was placed in me. At the same time, I'm very thankful to understand that the revelation of God is progressive and it continues to move. So, so when, I, when I talk about some things that I learned, I'm not necessarily speaking bad about them because it all helped me on my journey to get to where I am now. Okay? Is that, is that all right? And, and, and so... Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that tells me that what I had revelation of was church and not kingdom is this, that the, the fivefold, which were not operating at all, there were three maybe, right? Three? Yeah, there were three maybe, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and really pastor and teacher should go together probably. It's kind of how it's written in the Greek. But um, so this says that the fivefold, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, are for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry, to, or Passion Translate says to do their own works of ministry. However, when I came up, the idea was that the pastor really did all of the ministry. Everything happened through the pastor, right? And he was the one doing all the ministry. Now, secretly, living in a pastor's home, it was frustrating for them to think that they had to do it all. Am I telling the truth, Grandma? It's frustrating, right? It's, it's, she knows. It's frustrating to think that they're going to do it all. However, and I saw this even, even in my family, so I can talk about this. However, what we did is we created this, this cycle of codependent believers that really fed into the insecurity of leaders. And so it was only the pastor that was doing it. So that's what I was talking about last week. You get someone who's prophetic around you, it's not time for you to go get your tape recorder or phone and go up and get a prophetic word. It's time for you to get around them until something comes on you that allows you to hear the prophetic voice as well. One of the things that, that we started Awakening Church on this foundation is, God, I want it to be easy and awakening to hear the voice of the Lord. And I, I guarantee you I could ask you how many people in here 
find it easy when we get in this corporate environment to hear the voice of the Lord. And, and, you know, many of you would say, yeah, it is. And, and you've written things and given us things. And so, so what I, what I'm saying is I want us to create an atmosphere. I want us to create something where you are being equipped to do your own works of ministry, not waiting for leadership to come and do what you should possess the ability to do. Is that okay? And, and, and so that, that's why I say sometimes I think that I got, I got revelation of church and not necessarily revelation of kingdom, but, but it's changing, right? These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God, and finally we become into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. Now, I'm going to focus again on maturity today, and I just want to say it's not always the most fun topic to speak about. I also want to say I don't ever get to talk to you about something that I don't first have to learn and go through <laughs> or be in the process of. Sometimes I'm learning as I'm saying, okay? So, so, but maturity is necessary. And, and when we talk about that and we talk about immaturity in, in the body, it's not something that we're saying to demean anyone. It's something that we're saying that is is necessary for us to move forward and gain what it is that the Lord is wanting us to have completely, right? Um, it would be gross for your 14-year-old to still be in diapers, correct? Right? It, it, that, that, that's not what you would want to happen. You would want there to be some maturity and some growth that would take place. So, and, and so I want, us to talk, I want us to understand that that what, when the Lord, he highlights some stuff like that, it's not that he's saying, you're immature, no, no, no. He's saying, hey, I've got something I want to release to you, and this is what we've got to do to move forward, okay? He always speaks to us in kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So um, I, I really want you to hear that. Okay, verse 14. Sorry. And then our immaturity will end, and we will not be easily shaken by trouble nor led astray by the novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. Now, again, I'm not going to stay here long, but I just want to highlight that, that what Paul says is an indicator of maturity is that you're not easily shaken by trouble. Then immaturity will end, and you will not be easily shaken by trouble. That is a litmus test to understand sometimes where we are in a place of maturity that we would not be easily shaken by trouble or led astray by novel teachings. Now, we've been teaching this for months and months and months, that one of the ways you understand that you really believe God's goodness is that you never question it based on the circumstance that you're in. God is good all the time. And if I'm still at a spot where I'm questioning that based on the circumstance that I'm in, then I really don't have that rooted and foundational in my life. And there's something that has to happen. What lie am I believing to think that God is not good based on the circumstance that I'm facing? Right. And, and, and so, um, I, I want us to understand that, that, that is what is, um, that is what is being pulled out by Paul in regard to maturity. Now, the corner that I want to talk about sweeping today is something that, um, Well, it just is what it is. The corner number three is sweeping the corner of sin cycles. 
cycles that cause us to move into sinful behavior. I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, some crazy thing, you know, in regard to sin. We could name whatever you want. But sometimes it's cycles that cause us to move into thought processes that diminish the character and value of God, which if I don't think of him correctly, right? If I, if I, if I don't get to a place, um, what's, what's the scripture? I don't like it, so I don't really want I don't, to, I don't really want to remember it. But it, no, everything that is not of faith is sin. See, I would have been okay if they had just struck that out of the Bible. Would, y'all be, would, I, would I have any agreement? That everything that is not of faith is sin. Right? Here's the other one I don't like at all. That I will give an account for every idle word. Both of those. Both of those. They could have taken that out. They, they, they could have just taken that out. No, they didn't. And you know what? I haven't even searched either one of those in the Passion Translation because I don't care what Dr. Simmons says about those two scriptures, if I can just be real frank. Because I'm guaranteeing you that it'll dig much deeper than I want it to. Okay. So see what I'm talking about? Sin cycles right there. <laughs> so I want to talk about sin cycles. But here, here's, here's here, what we've talked about every week is that you sweep a corner, but it has to be replaced with something, Right. Sin cycles replaced with a real understanding of the born-again experience, okay? A real understanding of the born-again experience, okay? Righteous government is necessary for kingdom maturity, okay? Righteous government is necessary for kingdom maturity. It is my conviction that kingdom maturity has been an issue because of a lack of the apostolic and prophetic grace gifts that have been missing for some time. Now, I want to say there's been a shift in the last 20 to 25 years of restoring the apostolic and the prophetic gifts. But there's immaturity in the body because those two gifts have not been functioning correctly. Okay? How can you say that? What is a pastor? A pastor is a shepherd. He's to tend the sheep, right? He's to tend the sheep. He's to live among them. He, he's to, to uh, you know, encourage and, and, and bring them together. A teacher is to teach the word of God. An evangelist is to win the lost, okay? I love what Danny Silk says in his book, um, A Culture of Honor. If, you, if, if you've never read that book, it's an amazing book. Danny Silk wrote A Culture of Honor, and he says that the church for most of our life have been functioning at a C level, which is average, you know, A, B, C, D, E, a, a C level. Why? Because we've only had pastors, teachers, and evangelists and not had the apostolic and the prophetic. So we've been, at, we've, we've been moving at an average pace because we were rejecting some things, and the reason they were rejected is because we didn't understand them, okay? Apostolic gifts, and uh, Jesus' name, this has nothing to do really with sweeping the corner. However, I'm going to try not to, I mean, you need to know that righteous government is necessary for kingdom maturity, okay? And the apostolic is the one who comes along and enacts, and sends out, it literally means to send out those to con- who are continuing to do the work of ministry, right? There, there are over, what is it, 25, 28 mentions of apostles in the Bible, not just the 12. It's another thing we were fed, right? It, there were 12. It died out with the 12, yada, yada, yada. Okay. The prophetic hears the voice of the Lord, submits it to the apostolic. The apostolic enacts the the vision and the know-how to make it happen, the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist come along and function in their giftings as well to bring things together, okay? Now, I want to say this. 
when I talk about the apostolic and prophetic, I do not diminish the pastor, teacher, or evangelist because they are so needed, and we can't run with the other two because then we'll be crazy and just straight down a path and never look any way we go, and here we go because that's the apostolic's going to be like, okay, here's the vision. This is what we're going to do, and we're going to go that way. And the prophetic's out here talking about the color maroon and aquamarine, and, uh, you know, you know so, so they have to come together. Some of you prophetic people know what I'm talking about. You can't have a conversation with prophetic people sometimes unless they're bringing in colors and numbers and, you know, all this stuff. I'm telling you the truth. So they have to work together, and they have to have the pastor, teacher, evangelist to make the body function fully the way that it's supposed to be, okay? So, so they've, they've not been functioning together, which is why I'm giving you all that to say. That's why I believe the body of Christ at large has functioned at a more immature level than where we should be. Here's the thing. We have more access to the word than we've ever had in the history of the world and probably are doing less with it in America than we've ever done with it in the history of the world, okay? So it's not that we don't have the resources. It's that we've not had correct government to bring us together and line it out and say, hey, this is what we're doing. And the other thing is because that was fostered in us, we don't like correction. We, we, don't, we don't like correction. So what is needed, so, so, so let me say this. Righteous government, I've already said righteous government is necessary for kingdom maturity. Righteous government also is what positions us for inheritance, okay? Remember last week we talked about, we, we talked about, several things in regard to the gifts of men and how they position us. And we, we're looking at the gifts of men for all this stuff when really what God wants to release in us is healing among the body that is an inheritance or he wants to release whatever, prosperity. It's an, it's an inheritance. It's not something we have to work for. So righteous government, righteous kingdom government is what positions us for inheritance. What is needed is the shifting of a mindset in regard to correction in government, okay? This is, all of this ties into why we fall back into sin cycles, okay? All right, so... Some things have been held up because we've not been properly aligned. I just want to tell you, there are gifts that were, that were on the inside of me that were not released until I was properly aligned with an apostolic voice. It, it, this is just the truth. There are things that were in me that I made excuses for, that I suppressed, did all of these things until I got properly aligned with an apostolic voice and they began to release and come to full fruition. And so some of the things that have been held up are a result of proper alignment, which causes us to see, when, when we have improper alignment, it causes us to see correction wrong, which in turn has caused sin cycles to be prevalent. Okay. Here, here, here's, here's one of the ways that, that I feel like that we see correction incorrectly, okay? The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We know the whole thing, right? There's a portion in that scripture that has messed with me this last week. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff were tools of correction, when the sheep would get out of line, they would use it to yank them back in. They would tap them as hard as they needed to to keep them going, right? So the rod and the staff, they comfort me. Here's, here's what, here's what is, is really interesting to me. David somehow allowed himself to look in the face of correction and pin the words that your correction, your authority, your strength comforts me 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What is he saying? He's saying that there's an umbrella that I have experienced in where? In proximity. You'll never see correction correctly if you're not in proximity of the Father. You'll never, ever see that correctly. You will always fear the voice of correction. Even though Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, and those who produce fruit, we cut off and we place them into the fire. And those who are producing fruit, we cut on, right, and prune and and correct. So so, uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there has to be a change in the way that we think moving into this idea of, of sin cycles. Cycles of sin are the result of things on the inside of us that we have not allowed to be crucified. These things have, to this point, have kept us from living the fullness of the resurrected life. Now, here's what I want to show you about sin cycles. The fact that it's, it's, a, it's a thought process and has to be swept, and then we're going to move into what it, it's replaced with. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Can you get that up there? James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. This scripture right here, this right here, removes every opportunity for accidental sin. Okay, this one right here. Verse 14. Instead, it is each person's, he's talking about being tempted by God, right? Talking about moving into temptation. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. 15. Evil desires give birth to evil actions, and when sin is fully mature, it can murder you or it brings death. So I remember reading this scripture and the light bulb coming on and saying everything that I'm dealing with, whether I see it in a cycle or it's something that is sporadic, everything that I'm dealing with is coming from something that is on the inside of me that I have not yet crucified and not yet allowed the blood of Jesus to touch. This is why I say we have to sweep this corner. One of the things that the enemy does is he wants us to focus on the temporary. When we focus on the temporary, it causes us to continually move in these cycles where we are only moved by what we see and what is in front of our face. And so what the Lord does is he comes along and every time he speaks, he's speaking about eternity. Every time he speaks, he's speaking with something that has eternity in mind. The enemy is the opposite, and he wants to, he wants to invoke these ideas of, of, of temporary things. But the, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. These lustful desires that are on the inside of me that draw me and continually put me in these cycles. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have, have you ever been to, to a place where you're like, man, I just wish I could get over this thing. It just keeps coming back, and you think you lick it for a little while, and here it comes again. Am I alone, or are there people that, that deal with that, right? Man, I thought I had that under control, right? I thought I had that. And what happens is the enemy comes along, and what he does is he moves us into this idea of, yeah, and here comes the cycle, and it's going to come again after this, and it's going to come again after this. And so we begin to live our life in fear that we're going to jump back into that cycle. Fear. You understand that when you're dealing with fear, if you bring it around, you're entertaining demons, right? The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. 
And so what happens is we get in these ideas of, of these cycles, rather. And, and again, it may not be that we get in a cycle of, of murder or, you know, cheating on your wife or pornography or whatever. It may not be that we get into that. It may be that we get into this idea that mm, it's really no big deal. It's, it's, it's really no big deal. Do you know that indifference is worse than actually saying, no, I don't want to do it? Indifference means I don't care. I don't have a care. And what happens, the enemy gets us in these cycles. And so this is why I continue to talk about the devotional life because the, the place of devotion, the, the proximity of devotion is what keeps you out of those cycles. And it, it, it doesn't allow you to focus on the temporary because what the enemy does is he won't, he, he won't only remind you of the temporary that's in front of you. He'll remind you of the temporary that was behind you that you had to deal with at one point. And you've heard me say that anytime you look at your past, aside from the blood of Jesus, you're empowering a lie, right? And, and, and so I, I want us to understand that these cycles come because of a thought process that he says is on the inside of us. That's why there's so many scriptures in the Bible about having the mind of Christ, renewing your mind, thinking differently about the situation. Because here's the deal. We can come in today and we can have an amazing meeting, a corporate move of the Holy Spirit. You'll feel his presence. You're ready to, to do this and you're ready to let go of the past. But if you don't hold on to that, if it is shaken, if, if you don't actually change the way you think, then you're going to go out and go through the thing, same thing again. And, and when you don't have this corporate body together or this corporate presence that's here, then you're going to move back into that thing if you don't change the way you think. That's why he said immaturity can really be kin to how you deal with trouble when it comes. And it, it'll put us into these cycles, man. And it, it, we'll, we'll do the whole devotional probation thing where I'm, I'm on probation. I don't think God wants to hear from me, so I'm not going to talk to him. Listen, can I tell you, you can never, ever do anything that would cause him to not want to hear from you. You could never do anything that would cause him to not want to hear from you. But we get in these cycles. Here's, here's what I want to talk to you about, really. This is, this is the theme of what I want to say. This is the gospel. I'm telling you that there is a place in Jesus that you don't have to live with the constant fear of the cycle nipping you at the heels. I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. The, the, the temporary fix, the, the, the temporary ideas of, of being in this moment, and I don't know if I can contain myself, and I don't know if I need this. I'm telling you, you can do it, and you can get to a point. Listen, if you still need the, the, the filter on your computer, then you do it, and you do what you have to do. But I'm telling you, there's a place you can get to where you don't have to have a filter because that desire has completely been ripped away from you. And what I want us to understand is that that is the gospel of Jesus, it, whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be pornography, whatever it may be, that there's a place you can live in understanding the righteousness of God and understanding the power of the blood of Jesus, that you live in a place that you're not worried about tripping up again and falling into another cycle because it's completely been eradicated. And that only happens when you allow yourself to change the way you think and put faith on the fact that the blood of Jesus canceled everything. Born again means brand new. I've said this before. I've said this before. 
it would be cruel of God the Father to only allow the blood of Jesus to cause me to be just a little more aware of my sin consciousness. Come into my heart, forgive me of all of my sins, and when I leave here, what you have done is just helped me manage my sin more effectively because of my discipline. Come on, guys, that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that he who knew no sin became sin so that we, through him, might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, there is freedom from sin cycles. There is freedom from thought patterns that cause you to jump into those things. There's freedom from the hurt of your past. There's freedom from whatever it is you need to be set free from so that you understand that the power of the blood of Jesus is stronger than the pull of the sin of your flesh. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. How cruel would it have been for God to set the Israelites free from Egypt and tell them they're going to be nipping at your heels the rest of the way. They're going to be on you the rest of the way, and so you got to watch out, and maybe you won't fall back into it, but if they catch you, come on, how many people have lived their whole life thinking they're going to fall right back into the junk that they came out of? How many people, how many marriages have been messed up because they couldn't just let go of the past? How many, how many relationships have been ruined because you couldn't let go of the past because you still had a thought in your mind that maybe I'm going to fall into the cycle or maybe my spouse is going to fall back into that cycle that they do every time. But I've come to tell you today that there is power in the blood of Jesus and you do not have to live with the fear of falling into that. But I want to tell you, it only happens for real in the place of devotional proximity. If you isolate yourself and you do not allow the power of the Holy Spirit to be the dominant voice, you will, hear me, you will continue to do the same thing over and over again and then get mad when people call it out. The gospel is not that he halfway saved me. That is not the gospel. And it's time for us to sweep the corner of these thoughts of sin cycles and moving back into the same junk that we've always had. It's time to sweep the corner and replace it with a real born again, a real born of the spirit, just like Adam was born of the spirit, a real born again experience in devoid and formless into not what I thought about it, not what I dreamed about it, but a real born again experience that I have completely removed the even thought of trying to move back into my old man. We have to battle. We have to battle the idea of the temporary. We have to battle the idea of the temporary. That's why, that's why Paul said that these light momentary afflictions are working for you. You've heard me say it before, if they're working for you, fire those jokers. They are working for you a far greater weight of glory. We have got to get to the point to where we put more faith on the fact that Jesus really did remove all of our sin than we do our ability to fall back in it. And it has to happen in the church first. It has to happen in the church first. 
will never, will never hear me. Hear me, hear me. I don't care how many evangelism crusades you do. I don't care how many evangelism classes you teach and how many uh, yeses you get on the street. We will never, never, never win the world with a gospel that says we're just going to help you manage your sin a little bit better. It is, never mind. We are being invited into a realm of the kingdom that to this point we have not yet experienced. Let, let, let me read to you the gospel. And I've done this before and even read this scripture before, but it bears reading again. Let me read to you the gospel about what really happens when you give your heart and life to Jesus and his blood touches your heart, okay? Romans chapter 5. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. He now declares us flawless in his eyes. Listen, we, how, how would you live your life different if today you left and thought that God looked at you as flawless? Come on. How would you live your life different if you left here today and you really had faith in the fact that God thought you were flawless? This means we can now enjoy true, lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into the marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble... We have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. What if you really could live your life believing that the pressure you're feeling is not going to push you back into a sin cycle, but it's really going to push you forward into producing the character that he has intended for you from beginning? I need, I need y'all help me preach a little bit. I, I, and I can't even blame this on we just have a church full of white folk. Seriously, you get in some white churches and they're so boring. They can, but I need somebody to help me. Is this good or not? Is this, is this scripture? T- tell me. The scripture is good, right? Let's, let's, hallelujah. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. Jesus' name. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Do you hear that? We were entirely weak and helpless and powerless to save ourselves. But the blood of Jesus... Come on, but the blood of Jesus came and touched my heart. It came and it ripped out every desire to move back into that sin cycle. It ripped out every desire to go back into the old man. Now, who of us would dare die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for truly a noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still so much more to say. 
There is. I'm going to stop, though. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 6 because I got some stuff I want to read you there, too. Y'all good? So what do we do then? What do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? No. What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all. Come on, man. Come on. What if you leave here today and you really have the belief in your heart that you have died to sin once and for all? Can you, can you place faith on that, that you have died to sin once and for all? As a dead man passes away from this life, so how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? How long have you been robbed from the future that God has for you because you have been dwelling on the past that the enemy's been lying to you about, that he forgave and he doesn't even remember it anymore? Oh, come on, man. Where am I? Verse 3. Or have you forgotten that all of us were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one? We were immersed into union with his death. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we are co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been, we have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life for since we are permanently grafted come on man we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power for we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin with in us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. I'm telling you, it's been dismantled forever if you can believe it. It's been dismantled forever if you can put faith on the fact that the blood of Jesus is stronger than the power of your sin. Hallelujah. How would you live your life if you left today and sin was no longer an issue? How would you live your life? Don't know that we can do that. I don't know that we can live that. We're going to sin every day. Somebody lied to you. Somebody lied to you. They may not have lied out of malice, but they lied to you nonetheless. It just told me that I can partake in the fullness of his resurrected life, and he did not get up out of the grave and start sinning. It's permanent. For this reason, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I've already quoted it, but let's read it anyway. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who knew no righteousness could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What would it be like to not worry about falling into sin cycles? What would it be like to live your life not bound by the idea 
but you're going to fall back into that. Ryan, come up here. Will you play softly? I know we haven't done this in a while, but I want you to bow your heads. And I want to ask you today, are there cycles that are on the inside of you that continue to haunt you? Are there things that you're worried about that continue to cause you grief, that continue to lead you down a path where you have diminished thoughts of God? Listen, I'm not asking you, did you repeat a prayer? And I'm not even asking you, do you think you're saved? Because I'm sure that most of you are. I'm asking you, are there things that are in you that are separating you from this God? Are there things that are on the inside of you that are separating you from this place? Are there things that are on the inside of you that are keeping you from the fullness of what God has for you? And if that's you, if you say, yeah, there are things, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and to come down for the front. Let's pray. Let's pray. Are there things that are keeping you from the fullness of what God has for you? Are there things that are keeping you from living this life where you don't have to worry about falling into sin again? If that's you, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I'm, again, I'm not asking, are you saved or did you repeat a prayer? I'm asking, are you tired and are you really done of going through the same junk that you go through all the time? Are you really ready? Are you really at a place where you want to let it go and really understand what it becomes, what it means to become the righteousness of God. Come on, is there anybody in here? Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on, just find your place down here. Just find your place down here. Every cycle removed. Every thought that's not of him removed. Every idea that keeps me bound, come on, just lay it at his feet today. Just come on, there's, I know there's more. I know there's more. Could you, could you just get past pride today? Could you get past pride today and allow the Holy Spirit to really move in you and allow the Holy Spirit to really do what he wants to do today? Come on, you're tired of living the same junk. You're tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again. You're tired of falling in to those things. There's freedom today. 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 Thank you, God, for the freedom that's available in you today. Thank you that you've dismantled the old man. Thank you that sin has been dismantled in our lives. Come on, release the power of the Holy Spirit today. Release the power of the Holy Spirit today. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.